fighting China through microchip making, President Biden vows to boost the industry in the battleground state of Ohio. Folks, the future of the chip industry is going to be made in America. Biden's new clean energy advisor under scrutiny. An investigation looks into whether he's tied to China. Are American tax dollars paying for Chinese forced labor products? Lawmakers on the House Oversight Committee are looking for answers. China-made chips getting built into iPhone 14. One lawmaker saying the Silicon Valley tech giant is playing with fire. And Chinese house church members seeking help from the UN. They're after a lifetime of freedom to practice their religion. Welcome to China in Focus, I'm Tiffany Meyer. The U.S. looks at to fight China in chips making. In the battleground state of Ohio on Friday, President Biden vows to boost microchip production and revive the Midwest. Here's the president speaking at the groundbreaking of an Intel plant. It's time to bury the label Rust Belt and call it as Pat said, the Silicon Heartland. Folks, the future of the chip industry is going to be made in America. Intel's $20 billion project in Ohio will create thousands of jobs, and Biden used the occasion to tout the recently passed CHIPS Act, which invests billions of dollars in American semiconductor manufacturing. Critics say the legislation would allow companies to use taxpayer money to invest in China. But Biden on Friday said that won't happen, and instead promised it'll revive an industrial Midwest. U.S. microchip makers will soon face stricter curbs on exports to China. Reuters sources say Washington plans to impose new restrictions on semiconductors that are used in artificial intelligence and chip making. Here's a closer look. They say the Commerce Department will publish new rules codifying measures set out earlier this year in letters to U.S. firms. Companies including NVIDIA and Advanced Micro Devices received those communications. They were told to stop shipments of specified chips unless licensed by the department. Some of the sources said the new restrictions would include extra actions against China. Turning the letters into rules would broaden their reach and bring other companies under their remit. One source said the new measures could also cover products containing the specified chips. Firms including Dell and Hewlett-Packard Enterprise said they were monitoring the situation. A Commerce Department spokesperson declined to comment on the reports. Joe Biden's administration has sought to thwart China's advances by targeting technology where the U.S. still dominates. Experts say Washington has identified chips as a key choke point for Beijing. President Biden's new clean energy advisor, John Podesta, could have ties with the Chinese Communist Party. That's according to an investigation by The Daily Caller. Here's more. They found that Podesta has cooperated with the China-U.S. Exchange Foundation, or CUSEF, since 2009. CUSEF is registered as a Chinese agent in the U.S. under the Foreign Agents Registration Act and is backed by the CCP. According to the group's annual reports, Podesta sits on the group's U.S.-China 2022 Steering Committee. He has also written three articles for the group's website since 2011. The chairman of the CUSEF is also chair of a CCP agency in China known as the Political Consultative Conference. 
Is the U.S. government using tax dollars to buy Chinese products made with forced labor? That's what lawmakers on the House Oversight Committee want to know. And they're calling for an investigation to get answers. NDD's Melina Weiskup reports. 18 lawmakers on the House Oversight Committee are asking the Department of Homeland Security's Inspector General to launch an immediate investigation into whether tax dollars are being used to buy solar panels made in China, describing the country as an adversary with a record of human rights abuses and slave labor. 80% of the polysilicon capacity, 80% of the solar panel manufacturing capacity, that's all in China. Specifically, the lawmakers are raising concerns about the U.S. Virgin Islands. The territory is transitioning to solar power, and its governor has plans to make St. Croix 100% powered by solar energy. The DHS awarded the islands $4.4 million in 2021 for a new 28-megawatt solar microgrid project on St. Croix. Now, this criticism from House Republicans comes just months after the Biden administration waived tariffs on Southeast Asian countries as a way to import more solar panel parts because the administration said we had an inadequate supply of solar cells and modules. Now, this is important because the Commerce Department has been investigating whether China is using those very Southeast Asian countries, countries like Vietnam, Thailand, Malaysia and Cambodia in order to set up shop there and get a around existing U.S. tariffs, in practical terms, here's exactly what that means. China will, you know, mostly assemble a solar panel, send it to another country, maybe Malaysia, to have a few screws tightened, and then send it off to the United States. So they're kind of relaxing their moral guidelines in order to increase the amount of solar. And it will take a very long time before the U.S. can match China in this production and revive a solar industry that has been decimated over the past 20 years. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Apple is debuting the next generation of iPhone, and the device will come equipped with microchips from China. That's according to a South Korean media report. It says iPhone 14's chips may come from Yangtze Memory Technologies or YMTC. The company has links to the Chinese Communist Party. Senator Marco Rubio took aim at Apple over the news, saying the company is playing with fire. He warned that if Apple moves forward, it will be subject to scrutiny like it has never seen from the federal government adding we cannot allow Chinese companies beholden to the Communist Party and to our telecommunications networks and millions of Americans' iPhones. Congressman Michael McCall says YMTC's ties with the Chinese Communist Party and its military are extensive. He fears that Apple will transfer technology know-how to YMTC and help the Chinese regime achieve its national goals. Both Democrats and Republicans regard YMTC as a national security risk and have accused the company of violating a U.S. tech export ban. That's because it sells chips to a sanctioned Chinese company, telecom giant Huawei. A bipartisan group urged the Commerce Department to add the company to a trade blacklist this July, but the effort failed. A group of Christians have arrived in Thailand after a long and arduous exile journey to leave China. They say it's worth it for the future of their children. Let's take a closer look at why. Church members from China gathered outside the United Nations Refugee Office in Bangkok, Thailand's capital, last week. They stacked envelopes of asylum papers on a mailbox at the entrance. 
Xie Jianqiang, our church elder, said their exile has been tough, but that is worth it for their children's future. We're thinking of our children's future. We refuse to put their education in the hands of the Communist Party to give them an atheist education and to turn their backs on God. So we're willing to pay this price to lead our children to flee China to allow them to keep going to church, school, and to know God. They are members of a Chinese church called the Holy Reformed Church. Most of them are office workers from China's famed Shenzhen metropolis. But now they have to get used to picking fruit and digging dirt on a Thai island. Their exile story illustrates how the Chinese Communist Party is going to increasing lengths to control religious faith and its citizens, even far outside Chinese borders. Their religious policy has always been about persecuting house churches, of course, with rising political pressure and a more and more ideological control, the persecution has gotten worse. Penn said his 61-member congregation has been stalked, harassed, and received threatening calls and messages despite fleeing to a place hundreds of miles away. Their relatives in China have also been summoned, interrogated, and intimidated. At one point or another, our families back in China, every one of them, were summoned and threatened by state security. In one case, Chinese diplomats refused to issue a church member's newborn a passport, leaving the baby with no official nationality. The final straw came after Hong Kong's 2019 protests, which took issue with Beijing's tightening control over the city. Even though they had no connection to the protests, authorities in Shenzhen were still on high alert under what's called quasi-martial law status. That's because the city borders Hong Kong. Under huge pressure, the congregation decided to put its future to a vote. And most members decided to leave China. Inside China, Christians can only worship legally in churches that are affiliated with Communist Party-controlled religious groups. There are also tens of millions of people worship underground, in independent, unregistered house churches. Members of these organizations far outnumber those in official groups. But unlike past decades, in recent years, house churches have come under heavy pressure from the Chinese communist regime, with many prominent ones getting shut down. The meditative discipline known as Falun Gong is practiced across Europe. A parade in Poland over the weekend celebrated the beauty of the practice and its principles of truthfulness, compassion and tolerance. Over a thousand European Falun Gong practitioners traveled to Warsaw to attend the event, which also called for an end to the persecution of Falun Gong in China. NDD's Jane Wuerl was on the scene. A parade celebrating the beauty of an ancient practice, Falun Gong, also known as Falun Dafa. Falun Gong practitioners from across the world have gathered here in Warsaw, which is the capital of Poland. And as you can see behind me, they're practicing this peaceful exercises, and there's also a meditation component. Part of the parade also shows the repression that they're facing in China. But on the streets of Warsaw, people are free to practice. A traditional dragon dance lit up the city, followed by lion dancing. I've been feeling like this sort of buzz from being here around uh, so many people, all, you know, believing in, like, good things, you know, truthfulness, compassion, tolerance, and that's what brings us together. Victoria and her husband James travelled to Poland from England. The practice of Falun Gong has a place deep in their hearts. In Chinese philosophy, there's a, there's a saying in the Tao, 
and uh, my understanding of that is it's, it's like being in this flow of life and uh, I find when you do the exercises you are naturally more into the flow of life and so what happens is naturally your decisions become more aligned with that flow and so you make better decisions you waste less time that's a big one they've been fitting in the exercises early in the morning when we're more diligent which we've been a little bit better recently getting up at five in the morning and yeah. <laughs> practicing it just sets your day right and uh it's hard to get up. It's well, it's hard to go to bed that early, and then it's hard to get up that early. But if you do it, it's like that little bit of effort translates to a smooth day. Among those in Warsaw is Polina, who says the practice has helped her stay calm. Dressed in traditional Ukrainian dress, she now lives in Poland due to the war in Ukraine. It helps me to feel harmony inside, even if it's rockets and bombs. Practitioners in China have stayed strong in their faith, despite being persecuted for more than 20 years under the Chinese Communist Party. Some of the members of the marching band have faced suppression in China. When I first heard them yesterday, I had a few tears because I don't know, just, I don't know why it touches me so much. They're just really moving uh, their performance, just feels really heartfelt. You can just freely practice, that's so really wonderful feeling. So, and I felt like that is embodied in the marching band. Anyway, I gotta go. <laughs> when the sound of the marching band leaves the streets, the appreciation of having the freedom to believe will no doubt stay. Jane Worrell, NTD News, Warsaw. Coming up, tensions between China and Taiwan are heating up. With concerns rising in the region, how should the U.S. interact with allied Japan, the area's stabilizing force? And does the Chinese military really pack as much of a threat as it says? In the second part of our interview with retired U.S. Marine Colonel Grant Newsham, we hear his take on what's going on. That and more coming after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Tensions between China and Taiwan remain at their highest in decades. In the first part of our interview with retired U.S. Marine Colonel Grant Newsham, we heard more about what the U.S. could do to help Taiwan. In the second half, we examined the role of key U.S. ally and the stabilizing force in the region, Japan, and zoom in on whether or not China's military really packs as much of a punch as it claims. Let's get into it. And on that note, Grant, given the stakes for not just Taiwan and not just Japan, but also America, what can or should the U.S. do to either help these countries or also maybe help out and get involved? Well, we've, we've been talking about Japan and what the Americans need to do is to build on this good relationship we have with them uh, and to actually get ready to fight. And or ideally, if you're ready to fight, the other side isn't going to try. And that's what this is about, is stopping war. Uh, if, but if one does break out, then to win it. And America has to look at its relationship in, with Japan as one that does involve war fighting. Uh, and with both sides making a, a reasonable contribution to it, uh, according to their capabilities. 
And you'll notice, for example, that in Japan, the Americans and the Japanese don't have a joint headquarters where the Americans and Japanese get together and organize the defense of Japan, do the training, the operations necessary, and the planning that you need to get this done. It doesn't exist. The idea appears to be to wing it. Uh, the Japanese themselves have very weak joint capabilities, which means the ability of the air, sea, and ground forces to uh, operate together. Uh, they're, they're very weak. Uh, the one bright side is the US Navy and the Japanese Navy uh, do have a good relationship and they can operate together and they show what's what's doable. But on both sides, there has to be sort of an awareness that they need to do a lot more than talk and say things like the relationship has never been stronger, we're in lockstep, because uh, it's not. Uh, and it really, from a war fighting perspective, it needs to, to work very quickly. And most countries uh, that don't want to be dominated by China, they would welcome uh, the Americans and the Japanese really showing that they're serious. Um, America, of course, does need to pay attention to the whole map uh, and not outsource some of their responsibilities as they've done in the South Pacific and the Southwest Pacific, letting the Australians and New Zealanders handle things, and that hasn't worked out very well. America needs to, to be there and you know, in all of these places and, and say not just leave it up to others. You know, show that we give two hoots, and I think they'd, we'd be surprised at the response in a lot of these places. You, know, you hear that a lot in the Pacific Islands in particular, is where, where, where are the Americans? Why aren't they here? Um, or why, why do they take so long to actually, um, say, renew our, you know, our treaties? Uh, you know, we, what's wrong with us? And they, there's this lack of attention that the Americans are, are, are guilty of, unfortunately. And we do need to, say, look at the whole map and pay the right attention to it. Uh, and also bolster our friends, you know, give them, for example, uh, free trade agreements or economic agreements that give them a, a good deal and to show them that their interests are with uh, sort of a free democratic America and, and an alliance of those countries. So it's not just a military presence, but there's an economic aspect where we could do more to, as I say, make it worth people's while to uh, align with us. And South Korea is a good example of that, where um, a few years ago, when the Chinese leaned on them for putting in a, a missile defense system for the Americans and for the South Koreans, uh, that the economic pressure uh, on Korea was immense and really hurt them. And the it was the Trump administration didn't actually step up and say to the South Koreans, well, this is what we're going to do for you. Uh, instead, we just let them sort of swing in the wind, and that was a mistake, but it showed what not to do. And now, speaking of that seemingly unstoppable Chinese juggernaut, it seems the Chinese communist regime has really been boosting its military, either spending-wise or just capability. But there is no active threat facing it. There's no country actively declaring war on it. So why is that? What is the Chinese regime up to? Well, the first regional domination, getting the Americans out of the region. And once that happens, there's no single country or combination of countries that can withstand them. Uh, and after the region, then uh, the rest of the globe and beyond. And they've been very clear about that. This isn't a surprise. It's just people choose not to believe them. Uh, and that is what the, the objective is. That's the nature of a communist regime. And it you know, just it, it, it can't stop, uh, really, until it's um, tried to take over everything. And as, as I said, nobody has ever threatened uh, China. 
you know, and I've or you know called on attacking China, uh, but they use that excuse all the the time is that, well, you're trying to contain us, you know, you're threatening us because you have bases in the region. Uh, no, these bases were there long before the the people, most of them, long before the, the People's Republic of China started building up its military, uh, and is as I say these. We're there because people want us to be there. In every place we have a base, it's because we've been invited in. People want us to leave, they can tell us to leave. And we're there because of the, really the, the stabilizing beneficial effects of a, a US presence. And that's how it is widely, widely seen. But there's something that is just uh, aggressive and uh, covetous and uh, really pushy about a, a communist regime like the, the PRC that's, uh, really thrives on resentment. On the flip side, there have been some mention that all of China's military strength is more for show, almost like the phrase a paper tiger. So what do you make of that? <laughs> um, I don't believe it. Uh, they, they, these, are, these are very capable uh, people in general. And the idea that the Chinese military is, is the paper tiger, and I've heard this before, there's a con something condescending about it uh, that well they will never be our equals because we're the Americans, and you know how wonderful we are. So nobody could ever reach our level. Uh, well, the Chinese, and this was long before the Chinese communists. Remember that it was Chinese workers who built the the west half of the U.S. transcontinental railway uh, using picks and dynamite, and that was the hard half through the mountains. Um, additionally, you know, I'm old enough, of course, to remember you know, knowing a lot of Korean War veterans uh, who fought the Chinese, and I've never heard of one of them say that he wanted to do it again. Uh, the Chinese are, say they're as smart as us, and they have put together an impressive military. It has its shortcomings, of course, but considering what they've accomplished in a fairly short, short time, uh, and you have to take it seriously, and the Chinese understand uh, understand their their problems, and they work to correct them. And this latest rehearsal that we saw them uh, put into operation around Taiwan, it was a rehearsal for an attack and invasion of Taiwan, was in some many respects impressive. And it showed a, a certain, for example, a certain joint capability, the ability to coordinate all of their resources. Uh, showed some log logistical uh, abilities, command and control capabilities as well. And they're apparently able to send missiles that go where they want them to do. So one should always keep in mind that a military really only has to be good enough to do a certain thing at a certain time at a certain place. And the Chinese are already capable of that if, uh, you know, causing us an awful lot of trouble if the fight is close to the Chinese mainland. Uh, but if you spread the battlefield and make it a, a worldwide fight, uh, that China's capabilities drop off very quickly. But they understand that they uh, are lacking in that uh, respect, and they're going about trying to set up a global military, a global military with global bases, uh, airfields and airstrips, and presence in a lot of countries, Latin America, Africa, uh, and the, most of the Pacific and elsewhere. Uh, so now that's a pretty long-winded way of saying that I would take them seriously. And you had better be ready to address the worst-case scenario. Um, I doubt that an American skipper in the South China Sea who uh, is outnumbered at least 10 to 1 and has you know, 
15 anti-ship missiles coming at him uh, at supersonic speeds um, would think they're a paper tiger. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on this show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching and see you tomorrow. Shen Yun Creations, the streaming platform from Shen Yun, featuring world-class dance, past programs, and all original music. Masterclasses, behind the scenes, comedy, and more. Explore ShenYunCreations.com.